Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Day Unplugged. It's Wednesday, the 7th of October 2020. Mark Pender is across the pond stateside, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. A little more help, please, would seem to be the near universal call from major central banks to fiscal policymakers as rising COVID-19 cases across much of the world raise fresh question marks over the recovery prospects for the global economy. But some governments are clearly less willing or able than others to deliver the US crucially being a case in point. Combined with what currently seems to be rising political uncertainty almost everywhere, this all makes for a very uncertain economic outlook that suggests that volatility levels should remain unusually high. And talking of fiscal policy, Brian, I noticed that there wasn't much out of this week's RBA meeting. Was that in anticipation of a loose fiscal budget or do you think the package itself was actually sufficiently stimulative to ease pressure on the central bank to do more? Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. We, we have had the Reserve Bank of Australia um, for you know, several months now leaving monetary policy settings on hold. I, I, you know, they, they cut rates uh, in the initial stages of the pandemic back in April, but have been um, just sort of uh, keeping things steady since then and have come out and said, you know, we think fiscal policy would be good uh, to, uh, you know, to boost activity. And, that, and, that's, and that's what's happened. You know, the, the, the Australian government also in the initial stages of the pandemic uh, went aggressively on fiscal policy, but they've done more this week with their annual budget. Um, and, you know, so that, you know, we'll see what impact that has on, um, you know, whether the, the central bank needs to do more in the next few months. So I, I think, you know, they'll, they'll at least give it a, a, a bit of time to see if that if that fiscal stimulus does work. Um, uh, but recognising that, of course, uh, the overall uh, uh you know, you know, the the main factor that's going to determine how things go is just whether you know the the, the virus gets under control uh, in Australia, and we've had some good signs there, but it's still holding um, holding us back is what hap- what's happening in Victoria. Okay, so presumably at this stage, then the chance of interest rates actually going negative are certainly not higher, and if anything, perhaps slightly reduced the result of the budget. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they they've talked about um, you know using some alternative monetary. Uh, policy tools uh, and, you know, they haven't ruled out, uh, you know, reducing rates uh, further and, and even into negative territory. But th- there does seem to be uh, reluctance uh, at this stage to, to go that that uh, aggressively on monetary policy, you know, recognising that, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do if, if um, you know, the virus isn't cooperating. And right. as I said, uh, in, in most of the country, uh, we are on, on the right track, but, uh, you know, Victoria, uh, as as I've mentioned in previous uh, episodes, is is um, yeah that, that's the main problem, and and hopefully there things are starting to improve though as well. All right, fair enough. Um, okay, so how then is recovery, and I guess by association these days, the COVID numbers going elsewhere across the region? Yeah, it's it's I mean it's it's difficult to um you know just give a, an overall assessment of the entire region, but. What we are seeing uh, in, in most countries is a relaxation of the restrictions. Um, uh, you know, there's still some uh, new cases popping up here and there, but uh, overall, you know, if you look at um, uh, the, the PMI numbers that came out at the start of the month, they've all uh, gone in the right direction uh, across the region, um, and that's definitely indicating that uh, you know authorities uh, in most of the countries have been able to ease some of the restrictions that have been in place um, even in the just 
you know, the last couple of weeks. India in particular has um, really bounced back strongly uh, since it uh, started easing its restrictions over the last couple of months. Uh, so the, both the manufacturing and the services sector PMI really improved over September. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's a positive. Uh, Hong Kong and Singapore, they're still indicating uh, contraction in their uh, overall economies, but to a lesser extent than previously. Uh, China, though, uh, we, we haven't really, uh, we're still waiting for, for the final Chinese numbers for uh, the PMI surveys because uh, they've been out on holiday for the last week. But, uh, you know, I think the, the overall trend in China has, has been pretty positive as well. Okay, I suppose that's all fairly positive. You mentioned India in there, India in there, so I guess we should mention the uh, the Reserve Bank of India, whose uh, policy statement was uh, deferred last week until what the, um, this Friday, if I remember rightly, um, with the appointment of new three external members to the Monetary Policy Committee. Now, I think I'm right in suggesting that by and large markets are anticipating the latest additions as being on the dovish side. So, does that have any implications for a possible further easing from the RBI or or is that going to be swamped by just what's going on more generally in the fact that inflation's too high? Yeah, it, it's um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see that because yeah, the, the RBI has definitely been in a uh, a bit of a policy dilemma over the last few months, wanting to cut policy uh, rates further, but also recognising that actually we they have had an unwelcome increase in inflation uh, over that period. So what, what we tend to find is that because these external appointments um, are made by the government, they do tend to uh, be a little bit more uh, favourable towards the government's position, which normally is to um, you know, provide more monetary policy support. Uh, but that, yeah, that remains to be seen. They, they uh, obviously will come in with uh, you know, an independent view and, and obviously uh, you know, uh, analyse things in, in the right way. But um, the even the uh, the internal members of the of the policy committee have been you know broadly supportive of easing policy if they can but just recognizing that um, you know they've got to make sure that that they they uh, stick to their inflation target so I should ask you on the inflation target itself is that handed down by the government I assume yes it is yeah so and is that a strict target because you know, we're in this kind of world at the moment where we've seen the fed well obviously they're just not an inflation target they've got you know the likes of you know unemployment and so on any and anyway already in there we've got talk that the ecb is probably going to modify its inflation target at least to some degree at some point so there's increasing pressure on a lot of these central banks to modify modify their current inflation objectives be it in terms of you know, average inflation targeting or perhaps introducing you know, a real economy aspect to it is that a possibility Possibility in India as well, given the problem with what's going on with you know all the COVID impact upon the real economy, but inflation being too high. Well, I, I think what is in the RBI's favour is that the the target range is actually pretty pretty wide. Um, it's from uh, anywhere between you know the target range is two percent to six percent. Mm-hmm. So in, in a lot of other cases, you know you, you have like maybe two to three percent or you know quite a, a narrower range. So that wider range, I think, recognises that uh, uh, in India. Uh, you know, prices can be a bit more volatile just given the high weighting of food in the uh, in the CPI index. So they've already got a little bit of leeway, I think, in, in the width of the band. But you know, they, they obviously try and keep inflation near the middle of that band, and so that's um, you know that that is sometimes challenging when you, when you see big swings in in food prices. Okay, watch this space, I guess, as they say. Um, yeah, well, I think um, in, in general, right right across the region, we, we 
we haven't seen much moves in in in, in monetary policy over the last right. you know, three or four months after that initial stage of the pandemic. So you're right, it, it is sort of just wait and see. And I think every, all the central banks in the region are just you know waiting for uh, you know public health developments to to guide them on on when they can uh, you know perhaps move to more normal monetary policy settings. Yeah, sadly, like the rest of the world, I guess, isn't it? Okay, then. All right. So, Mr. Pender, what do we got? Fresh out of Walter Reed Hospital yesterday, then. President Trump apparently uh, squashed any hopes of a new fiscal package. How yeah. damaging might that be to the economy? And, and for that matter, does it have any implications for what I guess must be a, what, a lesson impress Fed? Well, the minutes came out uh, from just uh, just before our uh, conversation here uh, from their mid-September meeting, and um, policy uh, uh, was depending on fiscal stimulus. I'm not sure mm-hmm. any tra- changes in policy were. There was just a very strong expectation that were there uh, not to be a second um, fiscal package, uh, that uh, the recovery would slow, and that's the the Fed's own uh, characterization of their own members. They also have their business contacts and their market contacts. And um, the uh, description of their assessments was uh, more severe, that uh, that it would be a, certainly a, a very bad thing if there was not a uh, fiscal package. Now, um, what is the status of that package is it seems to be completely, uh, you know, uh, not possible until at least after the uh, uh, no, uh, election in early November. Um, so it would still, in theory, be uh, something that could still be uh, around the corner, uh, but uh, there's no sign of it right now. And uh, so that puts, you know, monetary policy, I think, yeah, I mean, there's really no, there's really no uh, place for the Federal Reserve to go. Um, yesterday, uh, uh, Chair uh, uh, Jerome Powell once again repeated that they're not considering negative rates. Uh, today's minutes, there was some talk among the members of uh, uh, revisiting uh, QE levels. I mean, they've already agreed that it should be uh, 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 increasing at the current rate, um, but maybe that needs to be accelerated. Uh, but that r- remains to be seen. Uh, there's, um, it's kind of a frustrating um, position that the monetary policymakers are in right now. They really just have to sit and wait uh, until after the election, until uh, something uh, happens. Or if, as uh, Brian w- uh, was saying, in, in case maybe there, w- there will be a positive public health development. Um, certainly, uh, President Trump's uh, experience aside, there uh, the infection rates. Uh, in the U.S. Ha- are stable. I mean, it, it, even though they're very much higher than other places, including Australia, uh, they uh, they aren't uh, leading to uh, new um, lockdowns or or, uh, or restrictions. Uh, uh, it, you know, which is what caused the shutdown, of course, and and was caused all the all the issues. Okay, in terms of the economy at the moment, obviously we had the employment report update uh, back end of last week. What did did huh? that give us anything new in terms of the way the economy is actually evolving at the moment? Well, I think it's what the actually uh, it kind of repeats what the the minutes uh, were saying that um, that uh, there uh, was a mid month meeting and the monthly employment report is sampled at mid month, so they may have very well had a, a look at the numbers beforehand. 
But they came in at non-farm payroll growth was 661,000, which was half, uh, less than half of the 1.5 million uh, in the prior month. So uh, it's definitely been on the way down. And it, and the minutes kind of, uh, there was, a, uh, I'm not sure, it, the word disappointment would never appear in, in, in such a text, but I, I think that you could almost uh, sense that. Um, but what you know? What can they really do to improve uh, employment? It's in complete dislocation, and uh, and um, you know it's churning right now, um, trying to find its. The labor market is trying to find a new direction, a new stability, um, and certainly that is still in play. And there's. Um, but in any case, what what the improvement is being seen is slowing. And if you if you map this stuff out. Uh, these rates of, of growth and and the minutes uh, the minutes are on my mind because you know it's I've just read them so they're mm-hmm. but uh, the um, uh, they're there's still the complaint or not the complaint but there's still the observation that rates that levels of activity including employment are still you know significantly below where they were mm-hmm. um, before the virus hit and if you look at some of these uh, rates of improvement, uh, it's not in production, especially in employment, um, in consumer spending overall, including services, uh, that th- it's not going to be around the corner anytime soon that the economy at this rate of, uh, of improvement will, uh, you know, get back to where it was. It looks to me, uh, some, some of these uh, numbers were, are pushed back well into in, in, beyond next year and other ones are at the beginning of next year. Uh, but um, it's just, it apparently is going to be a frustratingly slow process. And without um, government support for lower wage workers uh, during this, um, this time, there's going to be uh, uh, pain. And, uh, you know, the American uh, public and the American uh, uh, labor market, outright pain isn't, they've traditionally suffered. So um, it's kind of a a, a scary, I'm not sure that's the the right word, but it's a... Might well uh, be. uh, Yeah. Let's just hope not. It's troubling. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, Before we let you go, just Uh normally, I guess we wouldn't, well certainly on this side of the, of the pond anyway, the idea of a vice presidential um, debate you know, before the election would attach virtually no attention whatsoever. But in light of recent developments and the way the uh, the actual presidential event, um, debate went between uh, Messrs. Trump and Biden, there's actually quite a lot of interest in what the vice president vice presidential debate, if I can get my te- teeth around it, um, will come out with today. I mean, do you think it's actually going to provide any kind of... <laughs> I don't know, sort of semblance to the markets as to differences between policies and actually give investors the chance to think about what might be good and what might be bad in terms of an election result. No, you know, you you asked me what the... you, I, I get, you know, when you ask me these questions, I get the expectation that I'm going to be talking about uh, the actual, uh, you know, personalities and things. But then you turn it on to the markets and like That's the presidential what we're debate. In. That's what uh, we're you're in. right. No, no, you're right. But <laughs> but there's a lot of personality. Yeah, and, sure. You know, Kamal Harris. And this is going to be kind of introduction to, uh, you know, not, not everyone followed the Democratic uh, uh, primaries uh, or, or the debates uh, with that kind of close uh, scrutiny. Well, that's going to come now. 
Uh, so, but as far as the markets, it's what I had said before with the uh, with um, uh, Trump and Biden. It's going. It, it would have no, and I don't think it really did have any direct uh, market pricing effects. Um, I doubt even more that this would. Um, since they are, you know, uh, you know the, the vice presidents, I'm not sure that they're going to, you know, uh, introduce new policy ideas. I, as, uh, whether it's they could be talking about uh, the, you know, fiscal policy is certainly going to come up, and that may put Pence on the defensive, uh, considering what um, President Trump has decided. But there is a, something unusual about this one because uh, of President Trump's diagnosis. And that's going to put an extra severe, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, scrutiny on Pence. So it's good. It'll be worth them. I think it'll be a good show uh, or an interesting show. But I, as far as how it's going to affect the economic or the market outlook, I, I imagine it's going to have a, a very little, if any, impact. Fair enough. Okay, then. Um, shifting across to Europe and sort of my part of the world, I guess it's not so different from what um, Mark and Brian have been saying, um, at least in terms of economic developments anyway. The bad news as far as Europe goes is that we have rising uh, COVID cases pretty well across the continent at the moment. We have uh, record high new daily cases in France, Spain, the UK, um, Poland, even Germany now, which is running at its highest level since April. And that's supposed to be one of the countries which has handled the, uh, the second wave of the virus better than most. So it's led to increasing speculation that governments or, mon or monetary policy will have to you know, be loosened over the course of the next few months. And I guess it's more and more sort of putting pressure on the ECB in the sense that the COVID rescue package, the, the jointly financed package that we talked about so often on these podcasts, still really there's no obvious breakthrough in sight in this. Indeed, Germany, who holds the, the EU presidential um, position at the moment, they're even warning last week that it's uh, unlikely that things will be sorted out come January the 1st of next year, which is when this new COVID rescue plan is supposed to come in, into operation. And that's really just a reflection of the fact there's still ongoing disagreements amongst the uh, various members, particularly uh, concerning Hungary, as we talked about in the past, about how these uh, funds are going to be allocated and what kind of additional regulations will be attached to these funds for the countries to get them in the first place. So the bottom line to all that little lot is that if we're not going to get much help coming out of uh, at least the joint rescue fund, then where is the stimulus going to come from? And it's probably needed because most of the economic figures continue to suggest that the recovery, although it remains on track for uh, continental Europe and the likes of the UK, it's certainly slowing. Uh, there's still a substantial um, gap versus in terms of total output compared to where we used to be back in February time before the lockdown came into place. And the excess capacity is putting steady pressure, rising pressure, I should say, on unemployment. So it does seem as if the, uh, the economic outlook for Europe at the moment does look too good and there's growing pressure really on play bottom line ECB to come out and do something and it's notable that we've had uh, Christine Lagarde the president of the European Central Bank hinting over the last what couple of weeks or so that uh, a switch to average inflation targeting is a good idea 
Um, that doesn't mean to say it's going to happen. But of course, we do have this this wholesale uh, review of ECB monetary policy being undertaken at the moment. The results of that are expected to be out early next year. But it does seem as if there's an increasing sense of this so-called near 2% target might be disappearing before too long. Um, there's various other bits and pieces surrounding this. We don't know exactly what shape or form it's going to take yet. But it's quite clear that the ECB seems unhappy, at least the majority, I think, of the ECB seem unhappy that the current target yeah, is working or others should say not working as it should be. So I think uh, markets going into the next couple of uh, central bank meetings from the European Central Bank. Uh, so the next one will be on October the 28th and the last one of the year when we'll get the updated forecasts, which is when they like to you know, make their policy changes if they're going to do that. That's on December the 9th. There's going to be uh, certainly, I think, speculation, which will tend to see money market rates being under downward pressure, bond yields remaining under downward pressure as well as we go through that period. So numbers disappointing on the whole. The lights of the PMI suggest, suggest that growth, if anything, in September has almost dried up. And if that is the case, uh, European economy is still, what, 10, 12 percent or so uh, below where it was back in February time. And for the ECB, which, of course, is still currently charged with meeting this inflation target, all the price numbers are going in the wrong direction. So as far as the September flash inflation figures, uh, we had that running down at minus 0.3. 3%. That's the lowest figure we've had since January 2015. And more significantly, the core rate, well, at least the narrow core rate, so-called, that's just 0.2% now. And that's a new record low. And for um, the likes of an ECB, which attaches a lot of weight to inflation expectations, if you believe that EU commission data, um, that's been falling now steadily over every month over the last five months. So it's really knitting itself together into a picture that suggests that probably policy isn't working as things stand at the moment. So I think, um, say, looking forward, there's going to be a lot of speculation that the ECB will be forced to do something off its own bat or simply because the fiscal policymakers can't get their act together before the end of the year. Um, as far as the UK is concerned, surprise, surprise, I guess more than anything else, it's still the ongoing Brexit discussions, which are, are dominating market sentiment. I guess it's quite interesting at the moment in the sense that the pound is holding up relatively well. And that appears to be a reflection of the fact that investors still seem to have faith in the idea that there will be some sort of trade agreement between the UK and the European Union um, by the end of this month. Um, that's despite the fact that the last official round of trade talks, which concluded last week, to all intents and purposes, yet again, didn't really achieve anything. Um, now, there will be unofficial talks going on between now and next week. And next week's going to be important, or at least it should be important because you believe Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, then October the 15th, which is the first day of a two day European Leaders Summit. Um, that's he's already marked as being the deadline for when agreement is reached or he's simply going to walk away from the table and there won't be a deal come the end of this year when the transition period has ended. Well, of course, that to be the case is got to be bad news for the UK, but also the European Union as well. And that could potentially be you know, a major plus factor as the dollar's concerned. So it still means that you know UK markets by and large are pretty volatile. The economic recovery in the UK, I guess, in a nutshell, is pretty 
pretty well mirroring what we're seeing in Europe. It's sort of doing okay, but there's a long way to go yet. And the signs are that growth is starting to slow far too early. Um, but certainly splits, it still seems, on the um, the Bank of England as to what they should be doing with interest rates. Some members still seem to believe that interest rates should go into negative territory. Others seem happy with the idea that they should stick where they are. Um, but um, if we don't see interest rates going below zero, and I don't think we'll see that for a little while yet, there's certainly going to be more pressure on them to come out and increase uh, their quantitative easing package. So it wouldn't be too surprising if we see that being hiked also before the end of the year. So I guess big picture pretty well wherever you look around the world at the moment is that if we are going to see any kind of changes in policy, it's going to be in the direction of additional fiscal or perhaps more likely monetary stimulus. Watch this space as they say. Oh, can, I, can I ask something? Please can do. You, uh, let's do a, a, a regional assessment of it sounds like Brian's region is doing the <laughs> better than mine. Uh, it's, I, I'd say the North American assessment is, um, it's I, you know, it, obviously there's been a significant level of new risk uh, to what was, uh, I think, uh, be, what is becoming, like you say, slowing far too early. So um, I think that that would be kind of um, – uh, what, is that a negative assessment? Uh, but it, it's definitely not a sunny, a sunshine assessment. So, um, and, and so, so that's that's how um, that's how I see uh, North America. All right, Bron. In your in a nutshell, how would you sort of summarize your part of the world? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tracking in the right direction. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, uh, it's obviously dependent on. Um, the extent to which authorities are able to ease restrictions and, and just get people back uh, into, you know, normal uh, operating uh, procedures. But, um, uh, you know, if, if you definitely look at the PMI surveys that we've had over the last uh, week or so, um, they're, they're all heading uh, in, in the right direction. We're all um, seeing um, conditions at least stabilise, if not, um, you know, starting to, you know, indicate expansion in, in the economic uh, in economic activity again. Um, and again, I think that uh, has allowed uh, policymakers to sort of um, keep on hold for monetary policy and then, you know, but still pushing for some more fiscal support. Actually, I can ask quicker, so I should perhaps, you know, I should have asked you before, but it's in terms, yeah. of chi in terms of China as one of the potential standouts. I mean, how's China doing now, particularly in relation to the rest of the region? Well, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it started its recovery earlier, and mm -hmm. uh, it's still going pretty well. Uh, we, we get the, the, the final set of uh, PMI numbers, uh, I think, tomorrow, because, that, because as I said, they've just had you know, a week of national holidays. But uh, we had a couple of uh, releases out before those holidays started, and, and again, they're showing a pretty solid expansion uh, in, in both the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing sectors. Um, uh, you know, the latest set of monthly numbers that we had uh, in mid-September, were, were pretty positive. Uh, you know, they've kept policy rates, uh, you know, policy settings pretty much on hold as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's looking okay. Um, probably still not quite back to pre-pandemic levels, but, um, you know, a, a big bounce back from the initial impact of the pandemic. Probably good news, and I expect the world economy needs that. Okay, um, so I just mentioned in terms of talking. Well, wait, 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 Jeremy, what about Europe? Well, so I, 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 anyway, so I kind of thought I'd summarise Europe really. I mean, Europe is 
I suspect, lagging behind the recovery in most of the other regions. Um, I think you know, the downturn was probably certainly steeper than the likes we saw in your side of the, the water, uh, probably steeper than we saw in most of uh, Asia as well. And it does seem that recovery is also being relatively slow too. Um, and the problem, of course, for Europe is that at, for a lot of recovery period, it seemed as if Europe had actually constrained the, the COVID cases relatively well until in the last what month or so when we've seen what is now becoming a, you know, a significant spike. And it has led to additional tightenings by a whole range of countries over the last few weeks with a probability of more to come. So I think over the course of, let's say, between now and the end of the year, it may well be the case that Europe underperforms pretty well the rest of the world. So, you know, not good news coming out really from over here. And I guess just to try and round this off, round this off before we prattle on for too long, there's an interesting survey which came out from Germany's IFO Institute. So these are the guys uh, widely respected and they produce, of course, the uh, closely followed IFO survey, which tracks Germany. And indeed, they do a, a world survey as well. Well, they did a poll of some 950. So that's 950 worldwide economists, um, which came out, I think, today, suggesting that uh, the global economy would contract by 4.4 percent in 2020 and that would be one of the steepest declines on record no surprise there followed by a bounce back of 3.2 percent in 2021 so in other words if that's going to be the case we're not going to see global activity this the level of global activity back where it was prior to the pandemic until at least into 2022 so it looks as if it's going to be a difficult time for certainly you know, the jobs market and for activity rates in general very much suggests that pressure on economic policymakers, doesn't matter where you come from, is going to remain very much for um, you know, additional stimulus or very much keeping policy easy for as long as possible, if you believe that, of course. OK, then. Um, anyone else for anything else? Good. That's what we like to hear. In which case, then, that is it for this week. On behalf of Brian, Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, of course, you can keep up to date with all the key market moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.